Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. Hello, ladies. Welcome to this solo episode of the Hourly to Exit podcast, where I ask and answer, does your expertise-based business have inventory? Per Investopedia, inventory refers to a company's goods or products that are ready to sell along with the raw materials that are used to produce them. Inventory can be categorized in three different ways. Raw materials, work in progress, and finished goods. So now let's look at the typical stages of development for an expertise-based business. Most of us start by providing one-on-one services in our chosen field, which is usually the area of our prior employment. Many of us are ex-corporate. So maybe you're marketing or finance, IT or legal. During this initial stage, we develop our expertise through obviously our firsthand experience that we brought from us from employment. From that, we may have some original ideas about the way things could be done better. Maybe that was the impetus behind going out on our own. As we get clients, the type of work that they request from us will learn something new with every client engagement that will add to our expertise. Many of us will get certifications or additional training. And depending on your field, you also may need to do continuing education. We may do research, either primary or secondary, when we find holes in our knowledge or we need something to support one of our theories. And occasionally we will need to use a subcontractor who has an area of expertise that we don't have. And so those subcontractor deliverables will also be something that feeds our expertise. Now, what I would call these elements during the initial stage of developing our expertise-based business, I call them raw materials. They're all the pieces, the nuts and the bolts and the screws and the things that we bring together that will form our expertise. Now, as our expertise matures, We will develop internal resources so that we can predictably and efficiently deliver the results that our clients value. At this point, we've been servicing our clients. We figured out what they want and how the best way to deliver it to them. And so at this point, we start creating some infrastructure to deliver those one-on-one services more predictably and efficiently and therefore more profitably, of course. So those include systems and processes and SOPs, templates, frameworks and methodologies, 
And I'm even going to put employees and contractors in this category, even though it's a little bit kind of to the left. But basically, I call these the work in progress stage, where we have taken all the raw materials from that initial kind of building our expertise stage. We figured out the best way to serve our clients. And now we're starting to put the scaffolding in place for to serve them. And then I add the employees and contractors in there because they are the extension of building these structures that helps you serve your one-on-one clients when you have these kinds of systems in place and frameworks in place and templates so that they can also serve your clients and provide those same results. So that's the work in progress stage. Now, eventually, we hit a revenue ceiling or an impact ceiling because there's only so many clients we can serve on a one-on-one basis. So we start looking for ways to increase our revenue or increase our impact without just putting in more hours. So we know what that means. We need to figure out a way to decouple our income or to decouple our impact from hours. And so we start looking for resources that tell us how to scale, how to add leverage to our business. And probably we are either hiring a business coach or we are following a business coach. You know, we're listening to their podcasts, we're reading their books. But in any case, however you engage, the same advice is that you need to turn your expertise into intellectual property so you can create new scalable revenue streams. So these are things like programs and courses and books, maybe even software. I do put productized services in this one, templates that are now being sold as opposed to used internally and licensing when you have any of these things above that third parties want to use as well. So these I call finished products because they are the things that you are literally selling that is not your time, but they are things that are separate from you that you will be selling. So those are your finished products. We have raw materials, we have work in progress, and we have finished goods. And these occur throughout the development of our expertise-based business. And what is each and every one of them? Intellectual property. So just because you don't have a stock room filled with shelves of physical materials, that doesn't mean that you don't have inventory. You do have inventory. Now, of course, this is not the accounting definition of inventory. It is not the cost of goods sold that's going to go onto your financial statements. But the common sense notion of inventory, where you have the inputs, the raw materials, the structures that you put in place to help prepare yourself to create those finished goods. And so you need to take the same care with your inventory that a car manufacturer does with its parts or that a retail store takes with its merchandise. So with your intellectual property inventory, you need to be thinking about the creation, the development, the protection, and of course, the monetization of your IP inventory. And so now we're going to just go back over those stages of inventory and talk about the best way to manage it in the context of intellectual property. And these stages apply whether that IP is owned by you or licensed to you. So first, raw materials. At this stage of development, it is mostly about 
making sure that you are using and understanding contracts because it's contracts that govern the creation, ownership, assignment, and licensing of rights with respect to copyrights. So at the raw material stage, it's all about the contracts with the exception of your original ideas. So when you have original idea, first, we're making sure that we are creating copyrightable materials by putting them in tangible form. Of course, they have to be original and have some element of creativity, although that's a fairly low bar. When you are putting your ideas, expressing them in tangible form, their original ideas, you are immediately creating copyright ownership in that element that you create in that material that you create. And it does not require registration. We'll talk about registration later. But at the raw material stage, it is just important to make sure that you are putting your original ideas into tangible form. Then the client work. So here, I'm sure your clients are going to request agreements. So now it's important for you to make sure you understand those agreements, that you're reading them, and that you understand who owns the deliverables. Now, sometimes you're creating something completely original for a client. Maybe you're doing something very creative, like creating a new logo for them. But if you're doing something that is based on your original ideas, they're coming to you because you know how to train workplaces to have a better culture. So you have your own ideas around that. You want to make sure that those client agreements reflect the fact that some of those deliverables are your original materials and that you will retain ownership in them. When we are going out and getting certifications or trainings or continuing education, that is a circumstance of you borrowing or being licensed the right to use someone else's intellectual property. Here, it's important. Again, it's a contract. A license is a contract. We need to understand the limits of your rights to use those materials. Typically, you will have the right to use anything you get in a certification program or a training program. You can use them in providing one-on-one services to your clients. But what you can't do, typically, is sublicense those materials to somebody else. You can't create a training program that you're selling to somebody else using the materials that you got from a training program or certification program, right? So we need to make sure that we understand the limits of our licenses, and that is about understanding the contract. When we're doing research, whether you're using AI or other sources, make sure that you are tracking the third-party materials that you are incorporating into your work. Now here, if you are using AI or if you are using other sources, you need to make sure that you are not infringing anyone's rights. AI in particular, I'll confess that ChatGPT is the one that I'm familiar with. They don't provide attribution for what they provide to you. So you will need to use other sources like Grammarly to make sure that you aren't infringing anyone's rights. If you are using research, depending on how you're using it, if you're not transforming it anyway, if you're just maybe you're taking someone's pie charts or someone's survey results and you're incorporating them into your work, if this is something that you are going to be selling, you should have permission to do that. So that's important to know there. And then your subcontractor deliverables. Always, always, did I say always? Use a written agreement with subcontractors. That is the only way to ensure that you own the deliverables. In the absence of a written contract, the subcontractor, the human being who created the deliverables, owns the copyrights in it. 
So you need to have that written agreement so that you own those deliverables. And the other thing that you get with your written agreement is that you can make sure you put in there a requirement or a warranty that those deliverables are original. You don't want your subcontractor delivering some AI crapola, right? So you want to make sure that you have clarification about the nature of those deliverables so you can depend upon them. And if your subcontractor is using their own pre-existing materials, again, like they have some area of expertise that you don't have, and so they're using their own foundational materials to help you, then they, of course, are going to want to reserve rights in that pre-existing material. But you need to make sure that the rights that you do get, the license that you get to use your pre-existing material is sufficient for your purposes. Let's say you do need to use it with your clients then you will need a right to sublicense it to your clients. Or maybe you need to use it more than once. Whatever it may be, you need to make sure that you have the rights that you need in the deliverables from your subcontractors if you're not going to own them outright. All right, so that was the raw material stage. Now, the work in progress stage, that is really pretty much about positioning. So it's less about contracts, but more about how you are becoming the go-to person in your space. So you've figured out the way that your clients like to be served, what the best results are, the best way to create those results. And you're building that infrastructure, the systems, the SOPs, the templates, the frameworks, methodologies. And so at this point, you are focusing on getting those nailed, right? So there are some circumstances where you can copyright a system, a process, or a method. Generally, you cannot because the system itself is kind of an idea. Remember, it's the expression in tangible form that can be protected with copyright. But my opinion is not the most important thing that's happening here. The most important thing that's happening here is making sure that you are known as the authority in the space. So I like to use the analogy of the cook and the chef. The work in progress stage when you're working on your positioning, think of your systems or your SOPs or your templates and things as the recipe. And we're not worried about being the cook. I can't couldn't do a thing with any of anyone's <laughs> recipes, frankly. But you need to worry about being the chef and giving the Michelin star service. And that is that work in progress state is building those systems, even if they can't be copyrighted. They're very valuable in enhancing your brand and your positioning. You become the authority with respect to the outcome that your framework provides. And there is potential to protect it with trademarks. If you heard me talk about copyrights versus trademarks before, you know my gross bias is toward copyrights, that when you have corporate clients, your corporate clients don't care what your trademark is, frankly. So long as they get the outcome that they receive, you can call it anything you want. If you fall in love with the name, then you fall in love with the name. And trademark lawyers will certainly tell you if you have a name that it would kill you to lose, then go for your trademarks. But when we're talking about where to put our focus, it is in making sure we become the authority in the outcome that your framework provides. So that is the work in progress stage where we're, it's all about positioning. Finally, the finished product stage. Here we are squarely in copyright registration territory. When you have an asset that is going to be a direct revenue driver, meaning something that you are selling directly to the end user, 
it makes sense to register it in the Copyright Office. So just a reminder that your copyrights attached as soon as you created them, you put them in tangible form, but registration is required if you want to enforce your copyrights against an infringer in court. So to use courts for compensation and to enforce your rights against infringers, it does need to be registered. And if it is registered in a timely basis, then there are also statutory damages that are available to you. So there are a number of business reasons in order to encourage registration for those things that are revenue drivers. So again, the finished products, you know, your group trainings and programs, courses, books, et cetera, and productized services probably cannot be registered, but maybe some of the underlying materials can, templates, and then licensing. You put together a whole program around your framework that includes workshop materials, scripts, and worksheets and things like that. And those things that are being licensed to your licensees, you would certainly want to have those registered. So in sum, you have inventory and the form that it takes is intellectual property. And you have that at every stage of your expertise-based business. It's not all about registration. As I just mentioned, it starts at the beginning when you're starting to develop your expertise, that you're making sure that you're putting your original ideas in tangible form. So the copyright attaches at that time. You are making sure that you are using contracts with your subcontractors always. You are reading any agreement that the client puts in front of you to make sure that there are no restrictions. Yeah, you're not giving them your expertise. And I forgot, you know, I'm just going to throw this in. And you've heard me talk about it before is making sure that there's not non-compete provisions in there or anything that restricts your ability to develop your expertise by working with other clients on similar matters. You really want to make sure that you are reading those because those are niche killers and frankly, they're expertise killers. And then the same as with any company that has inventory, retailers or car manufacturers, you need to make sure you're tracking it and that you know what you own and what you control, whether it is something that is original to you something that is created by a subcontractor and assigned to you through the contract or something that you are licensing from a third party through a certification program or through research and that you're tracking your rights in your intellectual property inventory because that is the only way that you can protect it. So I have created a visual summary of today's episode. You can find a link to that in the show notes just to help you kind of wrap your head around it. I've talked about a lot here. <laughs> so, of course, as always, you can find me at thinkbeyondip.com if you have any questions. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe and I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.